0: Please turn with me now in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing a sermon series going through the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a, it's a good one. But We're going to be in this uh, section of scripture for, for a little while, about five, six months. So brace yourself, but it's, it's going to be a good one. But Matthew chapter 5, and I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The Beatitudes, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, are beautiful attitudes of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And as we look at the eight Beatitudes that Jesus spoke on here at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, it really describes us who are Christians, it describes the lifestyle and the characteristics of those who are believers. And I just want to mention that because a lot of times when you hear the Beatitudes spoken, it could be maybe a, a political event or it could be at a, a funeral of even potentially a non-believer. A lot of times Beatitudes are, are used to describe the world and, and those within the world. But really Jesus had in mind those who are of the faith, those who are of Christianity. And as we look at these Beatitudes, it describes that the attitudes of the kingdom of God Of those who are called sons and daughters of of God. And so as we look at these these descriptive words, we need to keep that big picture in mind. And Jesus used the word blessed uh, throughout these eight Beatitudes. The the word blessed, it, it means divine favor. It means that we have been approved and appointed by God as his own. That he bestows and gives us his spiritual blessings. And so we are fortunate as believers in Christ... Uh, To receive these blessings, these gifts from the Lord. And so that's what Beatitudes uh, are all about. And this morning we're just going to look at two. Blessed are the pure in heart and blessed are the peacemakers. So what did Jesus have in mind when he said, blessed are you who are pure in heart? Again, he's really describing all believers because we have been made pure by God and God alone. But what does it mean to be pure? The Greek word pure is katharos, uh, and in medical terms we think of uh, a cauterizing something where we cleanse a wound from filth and from bacteria. Uh, we also think about uh, the word uh, purity uh, when, it, when it comes to psychological terms. Uh, there is a, a psychological term called uh, a catharsis. And it's really the cleansing of the mind and cleansing of emotions. And so psychologists will try to help you cleansing out the bad thoughts and the bad emotions that you may feel. And uh, that's really what purity means. And, And so when we think about purity, we think of it meaning that of cleansing. We think of absorption. We think of focus and even sincerity. It could also mean a singleness of thought. And so notice here that Jesus said, Blessed are you who are pure, and then he goes on to say, In heart. When you think about the heart, you think about the center of your being. You think about your inner emotions and your inner feelings. You think about the deep seated, rooted person that you are. That's what the heart uh, describes when Jesus said, Blessed are you who uh, are pure in heart. He's talking about the innermost person of you, your innermost being. And so when you put it all together, Jesus is saying, you believer are fortunate to be approved by God because you have been cleansed of your sins and Jesus is focusing on your inward being, your heart, and whether or not your heart is clean and pure. He wants to purify all the dirtiness from within you. When Jesus gave these words, he also uh later would, would be talking to a group of Pharisees and scribes. And he knew that these Pharisees and scribes, they, they appeared to have it all together on the out on the outside. They, they were focused on their external life and, and their behaviors and keeping the laws and the rules, but they neglected really focusing on their inward behavior, their inward life. And this is what he said to them in Matthew 23. He said, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. When Jesus spoke these stern and hard words to the Pharisees and the scribes, he's essentially calling them out saying, you've spent all of your time and efforts focusing on your outward appearance and how you look and how you portray yourself to others that you haven't spent any moment, any time dealing with. Your inward thoughts and feelings and your beliefs. He said, woe to you, meaning I'm calling you out for not focusing on your inward purity, but you've been focusing most on your outward purity. What, what he's saying here is Jesus ultimately came to the world to, to purify us and clean out the our dirty hearts. That's why he came. And he cares more about what goes on in the dark than he necessarily does what goes on in the light. He really cares about what we do in secret. He cares about who we are behind closed doors. And he wants us to be consistent with who we are in secret and who we are in public. That's what he's referring to when he says, Blessed are you who are pure in heart. He's, he's saying, Blessed are you who really focus on your heart and your feelings and your emotions and, and your faith and need and not just focused on your external belief and lifestyle. So the question I have for each one of us this morning is, what does it mean for us to be pure in heart? What does that look like and, and what does that mean? Well, just as a doctor, before he goes into surgery, just as he puts on his, or before he puts on the gloves, he, he, he really washes his hands, he or she, they, they put on their gloves, they wear the mask and the gown so that they don't bring any kind of a virus or they don't want to infect the person that they're performing surgery on, just as they are are gearing up for surgery to disinfect themselves and to be clean walking into the surgery room. So how are we to be clean before God and and coming in His presence? Well, there's a couple things that I'd like to say, but as, as I think about what Jesus said, He was actually quoting from Psalm 24. He said, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of Jacob. When Jesus spoke this beatitude, talking about the pure in heart, he is directly quoting from Psalm 24. And he's saying, as we approach God Almighty... We are to approach Him with clean hands and a pure heart. So the question I have is, how do we do that? Well, the thing we have to understand is, we can't do it. Only God is the one who makes us holy. Only God is the one who can change our hearts. Only God is the one who gives us a new heart. He's the one who gives us a new nature. He even gives us a new name when He adopts us into His family. Only God is the one who can completely clean out the filth and the dirt in our lives. He is the one who purifies us. As I think about this concept, I think about water and how water is purified. There's like seven steps from where the water comes from the lake and into our homes before we drink a glass of water. It goes through all these treatment plans and all these treatment facilities and, and there's different chemicals placed in it. There's a process for water to be purified. In the same way, Once we've been made pure, there still lies in us a responsibility uh, to continue to seek purity before God. We are to continue to seek purity. What theologians called this is they called it two things. First, they said definitive sanctification means that God definitively one time has made us holy. And it's only by the grace of him through Jesus Christ that we are made pure. After we have definitively that one time been made holy, then theologians called it progressive sanctification, meaning we progress in our faith, in our relationship with Christ. So what that means is it's a process for us to be purified. We've already been made pure, but we still have the sin within us as believers. And so as we are to approach God, we are to approach him with purity. And the way we do that is progressive sanctification in that we rely on his grace and we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, knowing that the spirit is in us and he enables us to continue to be pure. And at the same time, we are responsible to be pure. We can't just let go and let God and say, God, okay, you have to make me holy and continue to make me holy. Yes, we rely on him to keep us holy. And at the same time, we take responsibility. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he quoted Psalm 24 here. Because Psalm 24, it says, how can we approach the Lord? It says the one who approaches the Lord has clean hands and a pure heart. And then it says two things. The one who is pure in heart does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. First, the psalmist says, the one who is pure in heart does not lift up his soul to what is false. Another translation reads, does not lift up his soul to another. Jesus is saying for us to be pure in heart, we've already been made pure, but we still have dirt in us. And so we need to go through a filtration system. And the way we can go through this filtration system is to rely on the Holy Spirit and at the same time, We must not lift up our soul to what it's false. Meaning we do not need to have a divided loyalty or allegiance. We don't need to be double minded. James 4 describes it this way. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. What James was saying here is for us to draw near to God. We've got to cleanse out the dirt within our hearts and our lives. And we can't be double-minded, meaning we cannot lift up our souls to another God. We can't have our allegiance divided. As I think about the double-minded man or woman, I think about fair-weather fans. And many of you here, and I'm very happy to say this, are Tennessee fans. And if you were to ask me, I would tell you, my blood is not red, it's orange. I grew up here, huge Tennessee fan, like most of you here. And that's a really good thing. And if you're coming from out of state, you're gonna become a Tennessee fan whether you like it or not. But here's the thing, the last 20 years has has been very difficult for us because we've had some pretty hard seasons since our last national championship back in, what, 1998? Long time ago. Fortunately, our team is turning things around and it looks like there's good days ahead for us as Tennessee fans. But I've noticed the last 20 plus years that I've had friends who said, oh, my blood runs orange too. I'm a big ball fan and then we start losing. They say, go Alabama, roll tide. Or they'll say, go Gators or go Tigers. And I'm thinking, what? Where's your loyalty, man? You are divided. If your blood really runs orange, it stays orange. It doesn't change. It doesn't go crimson red for the Crimson Tide. No, you're, you're, you should be a ball fan, whether we lose or win. Stay together. Loyalty. But a lot of people don't see it that way when it comes to sports. In the same way when it comes to our faith, a lot of people don't see it this way. They say, well, Jesus and something. Well, I can worship Jesus and I can keep living it this way. Or, or I can worship Jesus and I can believe this other thought. Or I can do this other thing that I shouldn't do. But, but God still loves me no matter what I do or don't do. When you, when you live that way, you're double-minded. And Jesus is saying those who are pure at heart do not lift up their soul to another. They are not double-minded. So how can we progress in our relationship with Jesus? How can we grow? How can we progressively sanctify? Well, we don't lift up our souls to another. We keep our single focus on Jesus Christ. The Danish philosopher, Saron Kierkegaard, he said it this way. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. What is the one thing that we should be single-minded in our focus? Jesus. He's it. We don't need to divide our loyalty. We need to keep our loyalty to him. And I love what St. Patrick said about this. He said, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I sit down, when I lie down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, and Christ in every ear that hears me. It doesn't get clearer than that. Christ, Christ, Christ. He should be our single focus. So if we want to be pure in heart and continue to be pure in heart, one, we rely on the grace of God because we can't make ourselves pure. And at the same time, we are not to lift up our souls to another, but we are to keep our focus solely on Jesus Christ. Psalm 24 went on to say, He who has clean hands and a pure heart first does not lift up his soul to what is false, but also does not swear deceitfully. To swear deceitfully, it means that there's deception, there's falsehood. So, what Jesus is saying here is to be pure in heart, we don't need to lie. We don't need to be hypocrites. We don't need to say one thing and do another. We need to be consistent with our words and our actions. Our words must or our actions must must be consistent with what we say. So, again, this goes back to what do you do when you're in secret, when nobody else is looking? What are you thinking about? And Jesus is saying, do not swear deceitfully, do not be hypocritical, but instead be honest, be consistent in your walk with him. One pastor described the pure in heart this way. He said their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and man. Their very heart, including their thoughts and motives, is pure, unmixed with anything devious. Hypocrisy is abhorrent to them. And so again, a pure in heart uh, does not swear deceitfully, is not hypocritical. So as we are pure in heart, as we have clean hands and get rid of the filth, and we need to do that every day, by the way, because we sin every day. We get rid of the filth. Uh, From among us. As we do those things, Jesus says that blessed are you who are pure in heart, for you will see God. What does it mean for us to see God? Well, a couple of things I want to mention here. Hebrews 12:14 tells us to make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We are to make every effort to be at peace with all men and to be holy. Because without holiness, no one will see God. What the author of Hebrews was saying here is God is completely holy. He is perfect. We are not. And so in order for us to see him in his fullness, we have to be perfect. Well, obviously, you and I are not perfect, and we won't be until heaven. So what I believe Jesus is saying here is, Blessed are you who are pure in heart, for you will see God. He's talking primarily... About heaven. He's talking about when we get to heaven. We will see God. We will see God. Uh, theologians. They, they call this the, uh, the beatific vision. It's the, the beautiful sight more than any other. That will flood the human soul with utter blessedness. When we go to heaven. And we see every remnant of, remnant of sin removed from us. We will then be equipped to see the Lord face to face, and it will be the greatest joy for all of us. So let me let me let me just say this real quick. So the moment we die, the moment we become fully alive. Why? Because theologians call it the Visio day. The vision of God is displayed to us. We then see God face to face. This is what the Old Testament saints and prophets longed to see. They longed to see God, but they they couldn't. They they could hear an audible voice. They saw him through a smoking fire pot or, or through a burning bush and flames, but they never saw God. Well, Jesus is saying, when you're pure in heart, and when you get to heaven, you will see God. And it will be the most extravagant, most incredible, most glorious experience every single one of us will ever face. And it's the very moment that we die. So the very moment that we die, we enter into the presence of God and who do we see but we see God. That is going to be a glorious moment. And if that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. The biggest and best, most profound moment For your entire existence throughout eternity will happen the moment you die. Because you will see God face to face. Blessed are you who are pure in heart. For they will see God. Now I also believe that Jesus meant that we can still see God in some elements now. He's not just talking about future. He's talking about the here and now. And the way that we can see God are are multiple ways. Number one, we can see God through Scripture. So as we read the Bible, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just reveals to us who God is. And we see Him in new ways. And I'm sure that happens to you just as it happens to me. As you're reading your devotions and reading your Scriptures, you're seeing God in a whole new way. And you're learning something probably every day that you didn't know before. Well, that's an element of us seeing God. Another element of us seeing God is, is, is through His creation. And a lot of you probably noticed that as you came into the parking lot today, you noticed one of our trees was cut in half. Why was that the case? Well, we had a thunderstorm. Who creates the thunderstorms? God. That's a way that we see God. We see God through his creation. And living in East Tennessee, we we are blessed. We are blessed because this is God's country, right? We can see his beautiful creation all around us, especially this time of year and into the fall. That's a way that we can see God is through his creation. We can also see God through one another. And as we grow in our, our, our faith, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we can see God at work in that way. But again, Jesus is primarily focused on the end. When we get to heaven and that incredible moment, the visio day, the vision of God is displayed for us in his fullness. So again, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The second beatitude we're going to talk here about is verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Before we look at what a peacemaker is, we've got to look at what it's not. A peacemaker is not the easygoing, laissez-faire, tolerant type of person who does not care what other people are doing as long as it does not directly affect them. I say that because there's a lot of people that would say, Hey, you can do whatever you want to do and be whoever you want to be as long as it doesn't impact me. That'll keep the peace. That's not what a peacemaker is. A peacemaker is not a tolerant person that says, hey, go do whatever you want to do. As long as it doesn't bother me. That's not what Jesus is talking about. A peacemaker is also not someone who downplays or tries to cover up their problems. This type of person tries to cover up their problems and they they don't address the main issue at stake. They may say, well, there's a problem. But uh, we're just going to cover it up. We're going to make excuses. Let's just keep the peace and let's don't disrupt anything. A lot of us have family issues, and many of us do this with our families. All I would I would imagine all of us have some kind of family issue, and so it could be in-laws, it could be mother, father, it could be it could be kids, it could be you name it. But all of us have family issues, and a lot of times with family issues we'll say, "Oh well, we don't really want to address this problem because we just need to keep the peace." So let's just. Let's just don't bring up that conversation. Let's just don't bring it up. Let's just let be easy and, 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 and just keep the peace. That's not what a peacemaker does. But unfortunately, we've seen people react this way in the name of peace. And the prophet Ezekiel, he was dealing with prophets who were saying that there was peace, peace, peace. But they were covering up the main problems just in the name of peace. Ezekiel 13.10 says precisely because they have misled my people saying peace when there is no peace and because when the people build a wall these prophets smear it with whitewash say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall there will be a deluge of rain and you, O great hailstones, will fall and a stormy wind break out and when the wall falls will it not be said to you where is the coating with which you smeared it? What the prophet Ezekiel is saying here is he's saying that these prophets were covering up problems. And they were saying, oh, we don't need to deal with this problem because we want to be at peace with everyone. So let's just, just cover it up. And they're saying that they were putting putty over cracks. They were putting this putty over cracks. And they were, they were saying, hey, we'll just, we'll just cover up the problem and make sure that nobody sees the problem. And so let's just be at peace. But when the rain came, the whitewash would go off, go away. The putty would go away. And you would see these glaring cracks. And the prophet said, the prophet is equal saying, these prophets are saying there's peace when there's no peace. They're just trying to cover things up. A peacemaker does not try to cover things up. So what does a peacemaker do? A peacemaker addresses problems head on in the name of peace. They do it peacefully. They confront issues peacefully. They don't try to cover it up. They don't downplay it. They don't say, ah, let's just be at peace, everybody. But they address the issue head on because they're peacemakers. They actively make peace. They try to find common ground if there is common ground, but they don't just let things slide. That's what a peacemaker does. The word peace is shalom. It conveys the whole idea of wholeness, the overall well-being of someone. And again, maker implies that we're active, we're actively sourcing peace, we're making peace. And so a peacemaker is someone who has the peace of Christ that rules their hearts. And at the same time, they wanna go and tell others about the peace of Jesus Christ. They wanna tell others how they can experience true peace on this side of heaven. D.L. He he walked down a Chicago street one day And he saw a man leaning against a lamppost. And the evangelist, he gently put his hand on the man's shoulder and he asked him if he was a Christian. And the fellow raised his fist angrily and he he said, mind your own business, sir. And D.L. Moody said, I'm sorry I've offended you. But to be very frank, this is my business. He's saying, I'm minding my business because I want you to know about Jesus because he's the Prince of Peace. And until you find Jesus, until he changes your heart, you will never have peace. You know, my friends, we're living in a time where it is a great division. We're living in cultural division. It's chaos. It's crazy. So what does Jesus call us to do? Who does Jesus call us to be? He he calls us to be peacemakers. And the way we do it is we tell others about the Prince of Peace. Because until they find the Prince of Peace, they're going to be lost. They're going to be confused. There's going to be chaos in this country and in this world. No wonder there's so much division. It's because people don't have peace in their lives. They don't have Christ. And for those of us who have Christ in our lives, who have the peace of Christ in our lives, we are to go and tell others about this great Prince of Peace. And when they understand who the Prince of Peace is, Their lives will be dramatically changed. And so again, we are to make peace with those who we disagree with. And even those who are of different denominations. I would encourage you, instead of spending so much time just majoring on the minors and and going into debates. I think there's a time and place for that. And we do need to have great theological discussions with our Baptist friends and, and, and our non-denominational friends. We need to have those conversations, absolutely. And at the same time, we need to keep the main thing the main thing and say, okay, where can we meet on Common Ground and how can we serve this community together? You know, I have some really good friends right now in our Knox County Church network of pastors. There's a, a great my great friend, John Mark, Chet, John Mark Harrison. He's over at First Baptist Concord, senior pastor. I was with him the other day and we were joking because he said, hey, we were doing a, a, a little podcast And he said, hey, hey, Seth, you want to go do the podcast in the baptismal font? And I said, no, I don't want to be dunked in the conversation. Let's just sprinkle me in the conversation. You know, we were joking about the mode of baptism because here in the Presbyterian Church, we pour and we sprinkle on heads. And at the Baptist Church, they dunk. You know, we, we laughed about it. We could find common ground by laughing about it. We say, you know what? It's an important discussion we can have, but we can agree to disagree on this matter. But at the same time, how can we love one another? And how can we serve this city and even the town of Farragut together? And by God's grace, we're able to do that. So again, even when it comes to different denominations, I would encourage you, be peacemakers. Find common ground. Have those conversations at times, but as you have those times of disagreement, be at peace. And especially with non-believers, Romans 12 tells us, if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. There are times where we just have to say, you know what? We're going to have to agree to disagree here. And there's going to be times where we have to do that. But as we have those hard conversations with people that completely disagree with us, we still need to be peaceful in our conversation. We don't need to be arrogant. We don't need to be rude. We don't need to be jerks. We don't need to be mean. But instead, we be peaceful. Peaceful we be peaceful. And as we make peace, Jesus says, we will be called sons of God. Do you know a son of God was different than a children of God in Jewish thinking? In Jewish thinking, a son often bear the meaning of a partaker of the character of their father. And so what Jesus is saying here, as you make and promote peace, you will put on the character of me you'll put on the character of your father God because he is the God of all peace and as you promote peace and as you make peace you will begin to, to, to form in his character in that way. you are blessed and will be called sons of God. Saint Francis of Assisi he said, Lord make me an instrument of thy peace where there is hate may I bring love? Where offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring union in place of discord. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God.